0: It's now time to bring on our second speaker, Johnny Jacobs. Johnny is the FD of Starbucks and alongside his FD role, he is incredibly busy being a tireless advocate for, for mental health across several forums. Um, Johnny's a trustee of the Mental Health Foundation, the UK's leading mental health charity. He's a non-executive director of mental health at work. He's one of my favorite things to be, which is a one-year-old ambassador. And he's also a goalkeeper of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, Johnny was unsurprisingly voted and recognized as the Young Chartered Accountant of the Year in 2017 and he plays a very key role in supporting ICAS and their mental health initiatives. So Johnny, a big welcome to the show. Please let me know if I've left out anything from your very impressive bio but we'd love to kind of kick off with you talking kind of through your journey as a mental health activist and and advocate.
1: Thanks Mandy. First of all, you're far too kind and I just loved hearing you talk there. It feels like this panel discussion is going to get really interesting. So many great things that that you mentioned. Um, Yeah, thank you very much. And where to start? Sometimes people ask me, why is an accountant talking about mental health or mental fitness? And I think it's probably best if I just start with a bit of a personal story. So for those that don't know me, can understand me a little bit more and I guess why I'm involved in this space. And some of it comes back to my childhood. I grew up in really challenging environments. I grew up in a working class family in Glasgow and I was surrounded by mental ill health. And at the age of 13, my life changed forever, where many families up and down the country, my parents got divorced, but I ended up in a situation where I effectively was bringing myself up alone and I got to the lowest of low place and I couldn't talk to anybody and I certainly felt a lot of shame and there was nobody around to say, let's talk. And why? Because of stigma. It wasn't something that you spoke about back then, certainly not in a working class family in the West of Scotland. And in some respect, in some cases, it's not something that you talk about now, but looking back on it, there's no question that stigma stole my childhood. And there's no question that stigma means that I'm one phone call away from one of my friends. You know, we told one of my friends may have taken their own life. And stigma steals. And that's why webinars like this and conversations like this are so important so that we can try and break down the stigma. And for me, I think I found my purpose in business. A number of years ago, I was at Pladis, a global stacking business that owns, like, so McVitie's biscuits or cookies for some of you on the call and Godiva chocolate. And we, we took a programme that, that ended up having over 120 of the most amazing ambassadors, mental health and wellbeing ambassadors, that became a gold standard programme that we signed the first ever social partnership with the McVitie's brand of mental health charity Mind. And we reached millions of people up and down the country. And one of my big learnings um, in terms of my own journey was language. And um, You, you talked there actually about the difference between mental health and mental fitness, and I'll just pick up on that for a second because I remember going around the exec team and saying, oh, you know, should we do something on mental health? And the thing is, nobody's going to say no, 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 we don't do mental health. But when you ask for money, you might get, a very uh, might get a very different answer. And I remember sometimes I would say the words mental health and I would literally feel the stigma just like <laughs> land on the ground. Stigma. And then we looked deep inside the mission and values of the organization. And we, we we decided that instead we'd call the program Positive Minds. And I remember going back around the same people and said, oh, should we do Positive Minds? And they went, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do Positive Minds. Here's some money. And language has been a key part of my journey um, in this story. And now at Starbucks, as many of you know, the, the global coffee company, I'm hugely privileged to be the sponsor of our well-being program across our Europe, Middle East and Africa region. And we have hundreds of ambassadors that are also trying to make a difference. It's amazing. And a couple of weeks ago, in our U.K stores, thousands of ambassadors wore the green mental health ribbon badge, which was amazing, really saying we want to break the stigma. And a key part of what we're trying to do there is share stories. And there's that amazing saying that says, "Every time we share a story, we send a lifeboat of hope. And I really believe that our role could be to send more lifeboats, that vulnerability is our superpower. Maybe the role of accountants out there is to send more lifeboats. So I think now more than ever, our mental health is so important. And like I said, Dee articulated that incredibly well. So it's a real privilege for me to be working with ICAST, co-leading the mental fitness and business strategy. And I do think there's a massive role of accountants here to win hearts and minds not just across the profession, but also within the organizations that they serve and the organizations that they're part of. So hopefully me just sharing that in terms of stigma and language and stories, there are certainly three key parts of the journey of discovery that I've been on about mental health.
0: Thanks so much, Johnny. I mean, as your story so, so eloquently really tells us that childhood experiences can really shape your your adult mental health as well. So I guess a question I have for you is, what could we be doing better at an educational level to really reach young people who who may be struggling?
1: Such an important point, because we have to drive awareness at a young age. You know, know, I look back and it wasn't until about 10 years ago, I won't tell you how old I was, but 10 years ago that I did my first ever insights personality profile and I found out that I was certain colours. And then they would tell you, you know, who you'd interact with well and some of the challenges. And I looked back on it and I thought, I now know why when I was five years old, I did not get on with Adam in the playground. Like, because it just made me think about my personality and like who resonated with me and the challenges. And then I think, well, why don't we teach more about our personalities and more about our well-being and our mental well-being and our psychology at schools? And now we're seeing... Some governments lean into this in certain countries and we're seeing charities also lean into this by providing education and mental health awareness. But not just mental ill health, mm-hmm. just broader understanding of our own who we are and our own psyche. I think it's fundamentally important. And it wasn't until I was at One Young World, by the way, that when I was sat there in Bogota and I was listening to these very well-known people share their stories about mental health. And I'm, and I'm guessing... That many of the millennials in that room and Gen Z in that room, it was the first time they'd heard it too. But it's Gen Z and millennials; it's going to be our leaders of the future. So if they're not educated now, how are they going to make a difference? I think we have to get in early, and we have to educate early because ultimately these will also be our leaders of the future.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, I think D mentioned this earlier as well that we need to start looking at our mental health the same way we would our physical health. Um, and I mentioned at the beginning of the webinar, you know, why we believe mental health is still largely inaccessible being stigma costs and and people not really knowing how to enter the system in the same way they would for, for a physical ailment. Um, so I'd love to hear from your perspective what you see in business as well and, and why people aren't getting the help that they potentially need.
1: Yeah, I think there's two things there. So so I think there's a – let's address that in two ways. So, so what, what's the barrier – and then how can we then help? Yeah. The barrier comes back to what I said at the start, stigma. It's interesting. If you go into Google and you Google the word finance, one of the first things that comes up is the FT. So, you know, certainly in the UK, that, that's fair. So finance, you get FT. If you Google the word stigma, you know the first thing that comes up when you Google the word stigma? And stigma, by the way, is a mark of disgrace. That's the definition. The first thing that comes up is mental health. There is so much stigma associated with mental health that even Google tells you that mental health has a stigma. It's the first thing that comes up. It's a mark of disgrace. And that tells you what we have to change. We've got to go over stigma. And I think talking about it and sharing stories can normalize it. And I I, I do think the role of finance professionals has got a huge role to play in sharing those stories and setting those lifeboats. And why are CFOs important? Why is the Accountant and finance community important to break down those barriers? Well, we hold the purse strings in organisations. We can open up investment. If we can understand it, we can hopefully help and start allocating more money into budgets. When you look at your health and safety budget, how much goes on health versus safety, let's protect the budgets and let's also ensure that we invest, and we focus more and, as Dee also said, move it up to be a strategic priority within the organisation.
0: I love that, Johnny. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think we'll bring you on to our team to start pitching Panda as well. Um, but yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. And I think the more that we share these kind of stories and, and normalize it, the better. Um from, from a policy perspective and a and a kind of a government government intervention perspective, do you think that there's anything more that can be done to actually then protect the mentally ill?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few things there. I mean, across different countries, there'll be different views around mental and physical health so i just talked to the uk for a second do we have parity between mental and physical health and without getting too bogged down in the politics of it all you know the world health organization says the cost of mental ill health is anything between one and two trillion dollars and it's the next big pandemic and in the uk mental ill health costs about three costs about three to five percent of gdp Right. So it's massive. So from a policy perspective, how much should we be investing in things like national health services, but also in countries maybe where there isn't a national health service, but there's other health provisions? Do you have parity between mental and physical health recognizing that mental ill health could be three to five percent of a country's GDP? So I think there's lots that you can do at a policy level. But also, what about corporate reporting and transparency? You know, we've had gender pay gap reporting. In recent years, in different countries. If you look at it through that lens, even in the UK, for example, there's been supplier frameworks where we're putting in place transparency to protect suppliers. But what are we doing in terms of corporate reporting around protecting the mental health of colleagues? I think there's maybe something around looking at well being within that, that governments and policy um, organisations may do in that space.
0: Thanks so much, Johnny. Again, so many more questions to to ask you and we're going to bring you back to the round table.